Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello, I'm Philip Topham. Welcome to The Savvy Founder. And today I'm very excited to have Karan Bavandi with us. Uh, he and I met over uh, Lunch Club, a new startup where we get to meet uh, like-minded individuals and high caliber people in the entrepreneurial and business world. Karan, welcome. Well, glad to be here, Philip. I'm excited about the interview. Looking forward to sharing my story. Yeah, nice. When, when we first met, and we're just on Lunch Club having a conversation. I realized here's somebody that's been uh, in the entrepreneurial space uh, their entire life and um, moving from one place to another, always, always in pursuit. Maybe uh, you can give us a little bit of your background and, and how did you get, how did you become an entrepreneur? Did, did, was someday you wake up in the morning and says, you know, you put that label on your forehead or were you born with it? What, what, what is it? It was a process. I think I always was going towards having some kind of a control and being involved on, with the growth of the company. I started my career as a programmer for Phoenix Technologies. And then I moved to California. They had like a series of layoffs in the end of 80s and I got a good severance and I decided to come here and I actually my first entrepreneurship wasn't an entrepreneurship it was actually transitioning into sales and marketing and my the company at that time I, I got in there as a project manager in a technical then they had a vacancy for sales and I asked them if I could joined their sales team and they said, well, you can start. We're not going to pay you. If you're successful, then we will hire you. So I consider that my first entrepreneurial adventure. It took me about nine months to make my first sale. After about four or five months, they started giving me a draw on commission. The company was the leading independent test lab. Wasn't very big. They did $1.8 million a year. In my second year, I sold $2.5 million. My third year, I was the head of sales. And I, was, I helped the company grow from $2.5 to $8 million in within two years. Then my first real entrepreneurial was I was recruited by a company called Key Labs. These were executives at Novell. Novell back then was one of the leading Grant, I want to go back. You said you said you started, you know, not getting a paycheck and then draw against commissions. What was that like? Did, maybe explain that to the audience. I, I'm not sure everybody knows what that means. What it means is draw against commission means that they give you some weekly stipend or monthly. And once you start selling, they will take their money back and you will 
them keep whatever extra commission there is. But it was a way for them to basically support because they saw how hard I was working and that there was some talent there, I suppose. And they wanted to support me. So they called that a draw against commission, meaning once once you start right. we will then that that must have been pretty pretty scary to know you're going to work and you're not uh you didn't get a commission yet you didn't get paid how 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 did you how do you power through that how, what are there some tricks that you use to prepare yourself the trick is to be present first of all you have to believe and have some kind of confidence you also have to have a passion for doing what you want to do and that's what helps you get through the first four months of course i mean it's hard when you're younger it's easier when you get older it's probably more difficult to do that but at any time working without getting paid is not easy but that's entrepreneurship right if if you want to be an entrepreneur you have to learn how to deal with uncertainty, that the right process is going to get you results. Yeah, so, so when you think about it, that, did that, how important was that first job, that, that sales job to all the other things that you learned? I think your mindset is important. First of all, I was appreciative because before, I got to Excal when I was working at Phoenix Technologies, I was good friends with the head of sales. I was pitching them to get me into sales. He said that he was going to do it. Then they backed out of it. So it was a pursuit of mine. I wanted to become a salesperson. So when these guys gave me the opportunity, I appreciated that and I wanted to show that I could do this. For me, it was really, you know, the, the opportunity to be able to go and do what I wanted to do. Got it. Yeah, no, that's that's so important to to have that ability and the opportunity to pursue what you want to pursue, right? That's and right. I, as you and I have had some conversations, we'll get to that about your own venture and what you're doing these days. Um, but then you you said you got recruited to after that you got recruited to uh, to Key Lab, yeah. right? Right. So Key Labs was, we were a testing company. They were a client of ours. And back then, Novell had the largest network test facility within, because they were a networking company. This is when the internet was just getting started, having an, a lab with a thousand computers where you could run applications and do stress testing and all that kind of stuff was important and these guys came out and Ray Norda, who was the president of Novell in its heyday, was their venture. So they raised the money, they built this lab and they recruited me as a founding member to help them set up their sales department. And we did, within two years, we grew the sales from startup to $5 million in revenue very quickly and this is my first lesson in entrepreneurship looking back at it 
who gets money? Who gets $3 million to go, you know, start an idea like the one he labs did? And right. my answer to that is people who have existing relationships, right? They were sold on the idea. They knew what it was. They took some good people within that organization. They funded them to go build something. Yeah, that's that's so key. I uh, I call myself the savvy founder and armchair sociologist, and everybody sort of smiles when I say that. But what I mean by that is, we 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 creatures, you humans, you know, we cooperate for mutual survival. That's just, that's the social part. And building the one thing that I think all entrepreneurs can do is build their relationships. And so having good relationships and having being known as a good person, you know, helping people invaluable. So, so how did that, that group, they, they had already had those relationships or did they develop them? How has that helped you in your situation? What do you, how do you build relationships? The major VC relationships has been more difficult for me. I mean, uh -huh. big time VCs, from what I have experienced and the way that sure. I have seen it. So either you come out, you know, you're some technologists like the Google guys, you know, they, they live in Palo Alto, there is money there, they're looking for them. And you are, there is something, you know, some serendipity, I suppose. You know, you are at the right place at the right time. There was some movement. Like in the, at the end of 90s, there was a dot-com era and people were getting funded with a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. Not always great ideas, but... And the principles of why they were putting money into companies turned out to be wrong in a great way because a lot of companies were not making any money. They were just creating eyeballs and those were enough for them to get funded. Right. Right. So um, I guess the message that I want to say is that getting funded is really not an easy thing. And it, a lot of good, a lot of things have to come together. Most importantly is the initial relationship, right? People get funded who have existing relationships with venture capital. That's what makes them listen on one hand. The other people who get funded are people who can build some kind of a momentum and actually have revenue and traction within the marketplace. And that's what gets attention as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it, the, the, uh, Whenever I've worked with startups and startup founders and helped them, um, I have this, I have them look at what I call their personal feasibility space. What, 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 what are the connections that they already have? Um, are they taking care of them? Are they managing them? Are they reaching out to them? Were they born, do they have a lot, of, do they live in a neighborhood with a lot of lawyers and doctors and naturally people with a lot of money or no, you know, like me grew up in a place that was, was nicknamed Little Tijuana, you know, not a lot of um, 
doctors and lawyers there, and I, I didn't even know an engineer. So once you know what you're starting with, though, I, I always think, you know, how do you build those connections? So what, 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 are there any things that you've gone, um, what are you doing to try to build relationships with people to, to spider out and to, to connect? I, I probably probably first, doing this podcast is one, right? Right. I mean, absolutely. People getting to know you and know your story and know that you have experience and expertise in what you're doing. Yeah. Goes the same way. Yeah. After I left Key Labs, I met, I was consulting for a friend of mine who is a distant family in Germany. And one of the guys that was working for him had developed this piece of software that was, I thought was incredible. And he offered me to come in and partner with him 50-50 to raise some money and also to market the product in the US. So the way that I raised my first money was also through a relationship. I think it was 1999, again, in the middle of the dot-com. I was at my friend's house in Berlin, who was a successful entrepreneur. And this guy who was a wealthy, pub, from a publishing company in Germany, a very wealthy guy, he was there and we got to talk. And he said, I'm going to invest in your company. And he, I raised $250,000 by just having met the guy at the right place at the right time. Right, but, but you said he, I'm gonna invest in your company, but was he investing in the company or was he investing in you? He was investing in me. I think he was investing in the time. Again, it was a, I mean, he was wealthy. The month $250,000 sure. did not phase him. And he had money. He had lent money to different people. He took them and he gave them to me. So he helped people. It was my good fortune to have met him at that time. And this is, you know, this is how it happened to me. But again, it goes to the, to what we were talking about yeah. before. That is a personal relationship that made that happen. If I had just walked up to him on the street, I would have never had that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's something that um, investors, uh, we, we sometimes think of, of investors as all the same. And, you know, that person has more money than me, so they should be able to invest in who I am and what I'm doing. And... I, I do find that uh, it's it's difficult for somebody that doesn't have that kind of of um, net worth to understand how somebody makes like this publisher how they make the decisions right, right. you know they they've got all their monies you know if they put all their money and put it into just stock or bonds or something it, it have a normal rate but to get the maximized uh, value they need something that's risky. You know, so every, anybody that has a large amount of wealth is always looking for something to, to balance out the bonds with some other risky things. Uh, so there's, right, they're always looking for that opportunity. They are, and not always, I mean, for some people like this guy, I think he wanted to be involved. Sometimes it's 
it's, it's just a personal thing, right? Yeah. Um, there are different there are different reasons. People are not always investing, especially if it's a seed round money. It's mostly yeah. investing in you or some other kind of an idea than you know thinking that. So when you were having that conversation, um, you were probably he was probably asking you you know what's going on in the industry what's you know what's happening how are you doing he wanted to be he wanted to be involved be part of it right he didn't want to be left out he wanted to be involved and i mean he lived in germany he would come and visit me and he would stay with yeah. me and go around and yeah absolutely he wanted to be part of a startup yeah do, do you still have a relationship with him today you, you know do you still chat I, unfortunately he passed away a while back. oh okay uh, I, I would, I mean, when I, every time I went to Germany, I was always in contact with him. Uh, absolutely. Nice. Nice. Those are, those are the, uh, people like that, that, that impact our lives. They become friends for, for a lifetime. Right. 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 Um, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you shared this story about how you got your first, your, your first raise kind of thing. It's important for people to understand that, that, it can happen any place, any time, and for, uh, but basically around relationships. So, and then after after Key Labs, um, or well, during this, this was the money that you raised for your your own optimal access, right? Right. Well, so, I, so I'm I'm gonna go further and tell you what happened with optimal access. Okay, sure. <laughs> what we had then today still is, is a revolutionary idea. You know, we had the first multi-tab browser interface that allows you to organize and build your own browser dashboard of how you access information. Very powerful solution. And I was under the wrong impression that when people see this, they're just not going, you know, this is just gonna take off. And I was confident that I was going to raise a lot more money. So we made the first cardinal mistake that we started hiring people on that small limited money, thinking that and positioning ourselves to go raise more money instead of finishing the product, putting it out there. Right and getting the traction that we needed in order to go raise more money. And I found out a number of things that I think are extremely valuable for any kind of an entrepreneur. Great ideas by themselves don't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful. Right. Even if you have good traction, at, at one point when we released the product, I was able to, you know, back then in the 2000s, you had these download centers like CNET and thousand mm -hmm. where people would showcase their software and then you would be able to download it. And I had my software, I was able to buy a front page ad on this download center for two months straight. And I was getting a thousand downloads a day, every day for two months and hundreds and hundreds of people told me that this is the best piece of software that they have ever seen and ever used. Wow. And that wasn't good enough 
you know, for me to get the next round of funding. And what I found out was, for example, that Microsoft would pay OEMs or computer manufacturers money not to install other types of software that compete would compete with theirs. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, wasn't there, a, eventually there was a, a, a lawsuit against Microsoft for that, right? I mean, look at what happened to Netscape. I mean, Netscape became extremely successful very fast and they had millions and millions of dollars. And Microsoft came in, gave out the free browser and were able to drive them out of the marketplace. What, what, what was the name of that product? Was it called Optimal Access? Was the browser name or the product name that downloaded? We called it Optimal Desktop. Optimal Desktop. Because it, you could arrange access to both your files and folders on the desktop and okay. your, your internet sites. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, as somebody myself who has spent a lifetime trying to figure out my digital footprint and all the, all the things I've created and where they're stored and how to get them and retrieve them. Yeah. Those, those are important things. Anything that makes my life easier. I'm, I want. So, yeah. I mean, the concept of curation to the, is, today is even more important than it was 20 years ago because information is just exploding. We have so much content that is coming at us and we need a tool that allows us to take, to curate our interest so that we can find it easily, we can share it easily. There are so many applications for curation that everybody can benefit from. Got it. Yeah. So as, as I recall, you know, you, uh, after you had all those downloads, uh, you, you, you couldn't sit, you didn't get the, you didn't get enough funding to sustain the growth that you had. Right. Was that was some big corporate customers. I had one client in the UK, which was a major insurance company, a division first assist. And this was, one division of them, which was about a hundred people, they started with three people using the product and ultimately the entire building was using the product. And what they found was, you know, even though they had expensive licenses for all types of database and portlets, they call them to manage information, what we were offering them was so unique and so powerful in terms of what it offered them that they just, they used us for about 10 years. You know, I was getting licensing uh, for the software that I had sold them. But unfortunately, because we were on a Windows desktop, I just did not have the funds necessary to be able to revamp my whole product and reposition it right. for the 21st century. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fine balance, isn't it? Yeah. And then you you ended up uh, you said you worked for two other startups and uh, and, and what were you what was your role in the other startups? Were those you founded or you were helping or I was helping. One was a friend of mine that had a company called iVisit, which was the first 
unified peer-to-peer conferencing solution. And we even were one of the first ones to put video conferencing on mobile phones back in 2008, 2009. And through my connections, I helped raise half a million dollars for the company. But then I had to leave the country and he was acquired. Then when I came back, I got into ad tech. I was recruited initially as a sales guy and then as the chief revenue officer for a company called Web Spectator that um, did ad viewability products. And there again, within two years, we went from startup to $6 million in sales very quickly. But there were some issues with the founder and then I had to leave that company. So I decided to start Optimal Access again. So, but but with, with, was the founder issues unexpected or just out of the blue? I mean, you know, that's a common, it's a common thing, founder issues, right? Was it? The founder was, I mean, it was, it was crooked, basically. It, was, it wasn't, I mean, he was doing things that were not. All right, we don't need to go there. But, 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 but the thing is, 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 is you know, uh, as entrepreneurs, we have landmines to, to circumvent, you know, to, to navigate, not to, to, to really deal with. And, and having those really, um, figuring those out is sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you can do it. Sometimes you just can't, right? You know, you, you get the cards you're dealt with. So you must've been devastated when that happened. And then that's when you. It was, it was, I mean, it was an incredible opportunity. We were at the right place at the right time. We had a great product. Ad viewability was a big issue. And fraud is a big issue technology and we have solutions for all of that yeah yeah so so that tells something about you right you know why why didn't you quit like i'm i'm done with entrepreneurship i'm if the game's over like you know every time i you know something doesn't work so you're 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 at it again why what what is it that keeps you going what's the secret you have to have a passion i mean the, the curation product that i'm doing it's not just to make money, but I have a vision of the importance of this type of solution for all kinds of purposes, for education, for helping people get out of their cocoons, I suppose. You know, curation is an important, important process for you know, managing, let me put it this way, like news curation, right? So one of the visions that I have for curation and news curation is to help people get out of these silos that they are in. Right. To be able to have a wider vision and knowledge. I think curation is important for recording history and sharing history. And it's not something that's unknown. It's journalists have been doing it for aeons. 
marketers have been doing it for aeons. They call them swipe files in order to, I think that the way that I'm doing it and the focus that I have is still unique in the marketplace. Right. It offers something different and special. So I have a passion for what it can give people. And I truly believe in the products that we have developed over the years. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that reminds me, you know, there's this saying that, that there's uh, two types of people that start companies and only one's an entrepreneur. Um, one reason to start a company is to be filthy rich. And the other is to start a company to give something back to the world, to solve a problem and to really um, make a mark, make a difference. And I actually agree with that. When you're wanting to make a difference, that to me is a true entrepreneur. Um, somebody that just simply wants to make a lot of money, um, a capitalist, a businessman, uh, but not really worthy of the title entrepreneur, right? Because you're, 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 you're focused on this problem. It keeps you up at night. You've, you've had some you know, twists and turns, and yet you're still focused on it. So, you know, my hat's off to you. And I feel that that is one of the downfalls, one of the problems with the venture capital market. It's everything is about control. It's not that you should not make money, but they don't just want to make money. They want to control a marketplace. They want... Sometimes I suppose what they're aiming for is it hurts the larger market. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, the balance of, of, of um, risk and, you know, the, the venture capitals absolutely need to make money so that they have money left over to reinvest and that sort of stuff. They can't invest in 10 ideas and 10 ideas fail. And so it, it does create a, an interesting dichotomy. I, I wish, you know, maybe there's some other people out there listening or other things that have some ways of how to, so, how to, how to, how to solve that problem. But I agree with you. There's, um, uh, you know, I think that you, you invest, it's not necessarily that everybody should be a $10 billion company. If you have 10, $500 million companies that compete with each other and, create something valuable for me that's a lot more valuable than having a google or a facebook or or an amazon that yeah sometimes they hurt the marketplace you know because they are so focused on making money that they get away from the original idea of what they even created the product that they created. Yeah. So, so, so hopefully maybe there's a, you know, a family office out there or uh, another wealthy individual, you know, in Germany or another country that, that, that wants to help another company make a difference. That would be wonderful. Wouldn't it? Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So when you relaunch, tell us about the relaunch of, of optimal access. So, what do you focus? What? How did that go? What are you doing now? You know, bring us up to date because I think you relaunched in two thousand and fourteen, right? Yeah, fifteen is really when I got started. I was able to raise another couple of rounds from uh, people that were close to me, friends, 
and uh, invest some of my own money and time. Again, I, I had a huge setback because I recreated our optimal desktop. We called it K Browser as an extension for Firefox. And what happened there was that Firefox all of a sudden changed their API and our solution, which actually changes the interface of the browser was not compatible anymore. So I had to refocus and then I created an extension for Chrome called Curator. We have really three solutions right now. You know, one is your personal tool, tool for curating your content. The other one is a content library for publishing it. And I recently have found out that a good way to look at it is in old advertising, they called it swipe files, right? To create a place where you can store all of your ideas that you can then use for later. Right, right. So that's one of the applications for it. And the other one is to quickly be able to create FAQ type applications, you know, curate content from different places that can answer questions about a certain topic. And last year I started using our solution as a CMS for conversational chatbots. So for conversational chatbots to work well, they need structured content. And it turns out that our curated content libraries are great CMS solutions for these conversational chatbots. So we have some customers in this space now, and I see a lot of potential in this marketplace how, how did you come up with the the, the chat box was it a, just a conversation with an existing customer a new customer i mean because it's kind of a it's, a it's a little bit of a pivot but but it's a perfect use of your technology right what happened was this friend of mine that i had known for a few years they started a company called bot copy and bot copy is a ui for conversational chatbots and one day he was in the office and we were looking at it and he was showing me how it works. And I, then I started to plug in my content, my library into these response modes. And that's when I realized that there was something there. And then for the past year, we've been developing technology webhooks to be able to connect these databases with, uh, Google's dialogue flow. Nice, very nice. So I'll give you, um, so let me, let me ask another question and then we'll come back to this company again and, and where you're at and what you need and, and how people can get in touch with you. You know, if, if um, you've seen my, my picture of the, the Savvy Founders as a pathway um, in it, leading off into the future. And I, I have a belief that everybody's on a journey from one place to another. And if that path was your life's journey and um, you were walking along the path and you saw um, if you, your older self was standing next to the path at your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? What, what advice would you wish you had gotten 
way back when that would have shortened your, your journey? And maybe some of our listeners can shorten their journey. I have a lot of advice I would give. Well, but, well what's the, yeah, well, just one or two popped into your mind, right? That I'm sure I saw you thinking, and I know, yeah, I, I know you, you, you well enough that you have one or two words of wisdom, <laughs> and then we'll, well figure out how I, people can get I, in I, touch I, with you, right? <laughs> Say that again. The number one is on execution. Yeah. Make sure you have a product and you get traction. Count on yourself. Don't imagine that you're going to build something for venture capital to fund you so that you can go build what you want. Try to get your own customers and get focused on building something and getting traction and getting acceptance from users because that's what's going to help you build a company and rely on on your on on yourself perfect wonderful so build traction first rely on yourself first and then then after that think about investors because the cardinal mistake we made as we had the product and we started building more integration, more features into it. Right. Releasing what we had and focusing on that. So that, yeah. that is critical. That's, you know, for you that are listening, uh, that's priceless advice. You know, take it to heart and really uh, hear from somebody who's been there, done that, made the mistake, listen to it. You can see perhaps in your own business uh, where you're, rushing to get eyeballs the investor wants you to get downloads or get vanity measures you know focus on your revenues focus on your traction is that's a great advice karen so why don't you tell us where you're at today and then um you know how can people get in touch with you as well so how where where's optimal at today how, how can they find out more we have working products you can get you know, download our curator product, which is a great productivity tool to get yourself organized. We also have our content library and we have a number of solutions for that. One is a plugin for your own website or if you want to organize and manage an organization, you can get our multi-user enterprise version we also have working webhooks for building chatbots and all you have to do. So the chatbot, think about it. So many people know Alexa and Siri. You have a product like Siri where you can talk to it and it gives answers. Now the trick with the secret for chatbots is you have to manage the context so that it understands what you're telling it. And that's where a curated content library can really help. Let's say you have an organization, you have a thousand, 2000 documents that you want people to access. The curation helps you quickly build. Yeah, so, so basically anybody that's got a ton of library of stuff that they've been providing to people, your way of organizing things allows them to create their own custom Siri or Alexa 
without having to go through all the Siri, you know, development stuffs of every single situation. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. And also, in our world's content is changing all the time. So you need a way to be able to quickly add content, take something out, yeah. make optimizations. And our, our system and our process makes this whole thing a lot easier. Really nice. And so how would uh, people get in touch with you? What's your web drive, website or? The website is optimalaccess.com. And uh, we have a calendar there. People can, there's a, there is a chatbot, chat box. You can just go in there and ask for an appointment, download the products and try them. There's freemium versions. They're not costly at all. And um, email me, karan at optimalaccess.com. I will respond to you. And that's uh, Karan, K-A-R-A-N. So thank you. Thank you. That was wonderful. And for everybody that's listening out there, please go check out his software, see what he's done, and uh, take advantage of somebody that's going to be building a, a company around Chatbox. You'll be able to hear, you heard it when, uh, it, you know, and uh, we heard it here from Karan. So thank you. And uh, wishing everybody a bright and profitable future, both in their business and personal lives. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.